What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. It is it is great to be with you today. I have had uh, trouble speaking today on my calls, so we'll see how this goes. I'm recording this on Wednesday, November 16th, because I am going to Texas today. I'm going to the land of the free, uh, which I'm really excited about. I'm speaking at a conference on Friday, November 18th in San Antonio, which I am really looking forward to because I have like uh, three hours, I think, total of speaking in one day and get to deep dive basically on their theme of man fully alive, basically giving them uh, an overview of seeking excellence and then like the philosophy and lifestyle. And then I'm going to do deep dive uh, talks on mental, emotional, and then physical and spiritual. And then I'm going to do a breakout talk on professional and financial and then do uh, the social pillar after that. And so I'm excited to go through the the pillars of excellence and kind of walk through all this stuff with them um, and some great people there at the Missionary Oblates. So shout out to them. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm really excited about that, but did have to do the weekly wrap up early. Uh, there's a couple of things that I'm, I'm wondering what are going to happen, uh, what's going to happen with a couple of things we're going to cover today. Um, but I haven't done a weekly wrap up in a couple of weeks, so it's great to be back. You know, I lost my voice there for a little while. I was sick. Uh, this week I've really been off social media. I haven't been doing a lot of social media because I have, uh, a lot of, um, slides and stuff I'm creating for this, uh, presentation I'm giving, right? It's a lot of stuff. So, um, I think I'm at like slide number 52 right now. I don't create a lot of slides, so it is a lot for your boy. And so I'm going through all this stuff and trying to get everything ready. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be really fun and awesome to be able to share all this stuff with people. So boom. So let's take a look at what we've got going on this week. So first, you know, uh, I think let's address the uh, the elephant in the room. First big thing that happened this week was we had uh, Mr. Donald J. Trump has announced that he is running for president. So we got that. I don't know if it's going for us, but it's going. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say or what to think about it. I mean, here, here's my honest take on it. I, I, have, I have basically lost, lost all hope. And here's what I mean by that. I, I think what one of the things, and I posted this on Instagram that kind of pushed me over the edge was the Montana bill that passed by you know popular vote that doctors should not be forced to provide care to an infant that survives an abortion that is literally outside of the womb. I thought like I don't even know why that's up for debate because to me, like doesn't a doctor when they have a patient in front of them in a medical setting, have the obligation to do whatever they like, isn't that the definition of like the Hippocratic oath and like the existence of medical care in the United States, like how we're getting to the point where you get free and guaranteed medical care as a quote unquote human right of all ages, except for if you're a baby in the womb that your mother has deemed unfit to live. Even if you survive and you're outside of the womb, we don't have to treat you and try to save your life. But if you're a drug addict that comes in with a fentanyl overdose and no health insurance at 60, we'll do everything we can and spend taxpayer money to try to save your life. 
despite the fact that you just tried to kill yourself personally. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. So that one really, really got me in, in a state like Montana, right? That you would imagine would typically be fairly conservative. Um, and so just like seeing things like that, I just see where the culture is. I, even if you think like this, this is one of the things that is often debated in conservative circles that it, is it more of a political issue or a cultural issue? We all know the, the quote that's oft, oft repeated nowadays that says culture is upstream from politics, meaning that culture flows into politics, not the other way around, which I think is undoubtedly true. Trump does not win the culture back because he's so hateable and he makes himself so hateable. Like, obviously it's exaggerated and blown up. And I think uh, the, the media just puts more and more fuel on the fire and just points to all of his, his downsides and his flaws. But those flaws and downsides exist. And he gives them all the ammo and fuel they could ever want or need when it comes to showing people why they hate him. And to me, that's just really sad because this is, again, it's a culture war. And how are we ever going to win the culture war with someone that everyone hates? And I don't think that he did nearly as, I think he was a good president for three years. And then I think he really shit the bed in a lot of ways when it came to COVID. And I don't think enough like diehard Trump supporters really get that. Like this, the the thing that's like probably most perplexing to me, sorry, I had reels and stuff up. The things that's probably most perplexing to me is the idea that, that Ron DeSantis is somehow establishment, but Trump is not. This one really, really boggles the whole mind for me. Um, and there's this one account on Instagram that I shared that really showed, that really demonstrated this, you know, that said Trump went to the right house as an outsider and left as a politician. He didn't fight the establishment. He became the establishment. He didn't drain the swamp. He hired the swamp. He didn't shrink the size of government. Like how, in what ways did he drain the swamp? I get that he had great tax cuts. I get that he made a lot of progress in the Middle East. He did some good things. He did some great things. Life in America was undoubtedly better under Trump than it was under, than it is under Biden. Trump is not America first. He's Trump first and really Trump only. I don't see how that could not be true. I think there was no consideration in his mind that he wouldn't run again, even if it was what was best for America and for the Republican Party. I don't think he cares. I don't think that was even a thought that crossed his mind or something he really even mildly considered. I think from the time he lost in 2020, he was going to run again and um, and he was going to burn down and pull down as many people as he could into his losses as, as, as possible. And he did that. I think he did that with his stingy not sharing funds with uh, the candidates that he endorsed for the midterms. I think he did that in the way that he told Georgians not to vote in their senatorial elections, which lost us two Senate seats in, in 2020. And then he did it in, in multiple states, again, this midterm cycle. So that sucks. Now, here are some other, other quotes of the same account. Um, her, her account is the gay who strayed. So... There's that, but I think she's really insightful um, in some of the things she she posted. Obviously, I, you can choose to follow her or not, but I, I think that she's interesting and has some interesting takes. She tweet she she shared on Instagram these uh um a tweet from Donald Trump that said that Sweden is paying heavily for its decision not to lock down. 
As of today, 2,462 people have died there, a much higher number than the neighboring countries of Norway, Finland, or Denmark. The U.S. made the correct decision, talking about two weeks to slow the spread and locking down the country. That was on April 30th, 2020. And then it has other things where it says drug maker Pfizer gave $1 million to help finance the inauguration of President Trump. Then her next one was um, about the Trump administration announcing a, a $2 billion contract with Pfizer for the, the Rona juice. And I think that's, that's one of the things that's been really interesting. I don't know if you followed any of his beef with Candace Owens over the last week or so, but Trump's really been upset because in an interview with her, he said he was like bragging about the, the juice and the, the shots and Candace Owens couldn't be more vocal about the fact that she is not juiced. And yet he still went off and was kind of like sharing this, like it was some awesome thing. And then a lot of his base and a lot of his supporters who are also not juiced, like we're like, dude, that's whack. And then he got mad at Candace for it and started dogging Candace Owens. And so this is who he is. Like he just dogs people randomly and that's what he's going to do. And I don't understand any way in which he wins over new voters in 2024. And so I, I pretty much assume that we're going to lose. Um, Will Witt just had an interesting post on Instagram today where he said that he thinks they're going to run Michelle Obama in 24, which I think is possible. And I think there's no way that he could beat her. Um, she's like one of the most loved people in, in the country, unfortunately. And he's one of the most hated people in the country. And he's also lost the majority of us. Like he's lost the majority of the Republican base because of his obsession with January 6th, not with January 6th, because of his obsession with the election of 2020, which he's made no progress in producing proof that it was stolen, whether or not that it was, he's proven nothing but claims to it and then like then hates everybody who doesn't get on that train, even though that's not an issue that wins any um, independent voters. None. Like nobody's interested in that. And so... It's just, it's just awful. And I think, yeah, I think we're pretty screwed. So I don't have a lot of hope um, that Republicans will win in 2024. I, I think it'll be interesting to see if we can even like keep the House or the Senate or gain the Senate. I don't know if that'll even happen. Um, it'll be really interesting because every Republican has to make a choice. Do you stand with Trump or do you stand against him? And those who stand against him, I think you're going to lose. Those who stand with him, I think are going to lose. They'll split the party and it's just going to be bad for everyone. Super duper sucks. So that's basically that. Now, moving on, um, I recently resubscribed to The Loop, which I love from Catholic Vote. And so I'm going to be pulling a lot of things from there from starting uh, starting now, from now on is what I'm trying to say there. So currently on Wednesday, so you should check, you should look this up because this will come out on Friday. Um, but today there's supposed to be a marriage vote in the Senate. And this is a really big deal. I also got a, an email from Elias for Defending Freedom about this. Oh, man. So at 3.15 Eastern time, which is like an hour and a half from now, the Senate is expected to vote on the Respect for Marriage Act. Oh. So it says here from Catholic Vote, says, supporters of the bill claim it only codifies the Supreme Court decision redefining marriage. Roger Severino of the Heritage Foundation warned that Democrats are threatening to empower woke activists inside and outside of government to attack people of faith with this bill that will be used as a cudgel against those who believe in the reality of marriage as between a man and a woman. And so that's exactly what ADF kind of said as well. 
Um, but the fear here is that this is actually a loss of religious freedom and that this is going to be used to attack those who don't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding or churches eventually who don't host or honor gay weddings in their venues or in their churches. So that'll be really interesting. Um, if you don't know this house, the house of representatives has picked uh, Kevin McCarthy as the majority leader. So we have a new majority leader. So Nancy Pelosi will now be the minority leader. So we'll have to see less of her stupid ass, which will be nice. Um, uh, this is, I thought was really interesting. Greg Abbott, Abbott, Greg Abbott, governor Abbott of Texas announced on Tuesday that he has invoked the invasion clause of the U S and Texas constitutions to deal with the immigration crisis on the Southern border. The announcement comes after the Department of Homeland Security released new numbers showing that in the fiscal year 2022, which ended in September, that there were nearly 2.4 million illegal aliens detained on the U.S.-Mexico border. 2.4 million. That's a lot of heads, my friend. That is a lot of heads. So, oof. Big oof. Um That's going to be really interesting. I think that's great that he did that. I think you got to protect your state, especially as a governor. Um, and I think it's just a massive bummer that they're making it so hard for him to do that. Uh, this is really interesting from the Catholic news agency. I'll put this link in the description as long as I remember. Um, but this is by Zelda Caldwell from Catholic news agency on November 14th. It says 10 things to look for at the U S bishops fall meeting this week. And so if you don't know this, the USCCB, the United States conference of Catholic bishops, is holding their annual fall meeting in Baltimore this week. And so she kind of gives a top 10 things to look for. And so number one is we have an outgoing president in Archbishop Jose Gomez um, was the president of the USCCB. Uh, they apparently served three-year terms. I didn't know that. I learned that through this article. And she says, Gomez successfully navigated a way out of controversy and division among the bishops over whether Catholic politicians who support abortion should be denied communion. Um. I, I guess what she's saying is that because he decided to have this three-year Eucharistic revival, which I think is great, is to promote a new, a renewed understanding of a key tenet of the Catholic faith, uh, that Jesus is truly, truly present in the Eucharist. Um, Gomez and the bishops took the issue out of the political realm for the time being because of that. Now, I would debate Zelda. Is that her name? Yeah, Zelda, on with Gomez successfully navigated a way out of controversy. Uh, he dodged the question. So I wouldn't call that. I mean, I guess that's success. If you're his PR team, that's a successful navigation of the issue. If you're a Catholic in America, it's kind of shit, right? Like, uh, hey, you know, I know you asked me this really tough question. What we're going to do is we're going to have a three-year revival of basic Catholic teaching that's going to restate everything that's already been stated by the church and basically prove that Catholic politicians shouldn't receive communion, but I'm not going to come out and say that. And I'm not going to say whether or not I think priests should deny politicians communion, but we'll let the revival reveal church teaching, which states those things. To me, it's kind of soft. I don't really dig it. I think the revival is going to be great for the church at large, but I don't think that's a successful navigation of this really important issue regarding politicians. I don't understand that at all. Grateful to the bishops who have spoken about that, um, some of which all three of the Colorado bishops signed something saying that they shouldn't receive communion. But that's pretty that's pretty whack, right? Like that's not a fire way to <laughs> handle a conversation. You know what I mean? 
what like what in what world um number two there's going to be a new president and vice president so they're going to be electing somebody new um archbishop Lori apparently of baltimore could attract support not a huge fan personally um i know that none of the strong bishops are going to get elected so it doesn't really matter um she said that he's solid on pro-life issues but has earned praise all around for championing an emphasis on pastoral care to women and children in the light of Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, Archbishop Lloyd, I think, is soft on on every major issue. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I've never, I've never, I've seldom seen him come out with anything strong. But I don't follow this stuff super, super close. Um, new guidance on voting for Catholics, so they're going to decide whether or not they're going to revise forming consciences. Consciences. That's another word that gets me. Consciences for faithful citizenship which is the guide to help Catholics how, understand how they should vote. We had a great Catholic voter guide come out here in Colorado. I wish I had done a, uh, a roundup that week because it was really good. They're going to talk about abortion in a post-ops world, discussion of a Eucharistic revival initiative. They're going to discuss the state of priesthood. So Zelda says here, more time will be dedicated to prayer and fellowship at this year's General Assembly and an apparent acknowledgement of the challenges and stresses involved in the job. Discussion may turn to the Catholic Project's recent survey that found Signs of burnout among young priests and diocesan priests and a decline in trust that priests have in their bishops. So that's not good, right? Neither of those things. But who's surprised by that? The burnout, we have such low number of priests because we've softened the priesthood and watered it down, made it unappealing to people, uh, made it unappealing to men, which super sucks. Now, the Ukraine war is number seven. This is really interesting here. So it says the bishops will get an update on the war in Ukraine from Archbishop man, I don't know how to say that. Archbishop Boris Gudziak. I think that was a solid effort. Man, there was a dog barking outside. I could literally punch my neighbor's dog in the throat, given the opportunity. Um, But I won't because we practice nonviolence for the most part around here. Um, So they're going to be getting, so he's the arch, archipark, I don't know what that means. Archipart of the Ukrainian Catholic Archiparchy of Philadelphia. So I guess he's like important in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, but like the Ukrainian version. So like the uh, Byzantine right. A lot of Ukrainian people practice the Byzantine right. And so uh, Archbishop Lori apparently traveled to Poland and Ukraine with the Knights of Columbus in October to help distribute aid to those affected by the war. That's pretty cool of Archbishop Lori. Is unlikely that they would get ahead of the Vatican on the issue of the war and push for an end to U.S. funding of Ukraine's military. Now, this is another interesting topic because uh, I listened to Matt, or I didn't listen to Matt Walsh today. Matt Walsh was tweeting about this and I think had some interesting things to say. So let me go ahead and pull that up because I forgot about this until just reading this little thing here. But he was playing an interview between like CNN and MSNBC and some turd burglar uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. I can't remember who it was. Um, let me see here. Where was this one? <laughs> He's tweeted some funny stuff recently. <laughs> I love, I just love Twitter. I think it's so great. Um, yeah, so there's also, I don't know if you've heard about this alleged Russian missile that hit Poland. Uh, now there's talk from U.S. officials that potentially it was actually um, that it was actually a Ukrainian missile that killed two Poles yesterday. So that's not great. So yeah, so it was Christine Amanpour, uh, 
um, and somebody on CNN. Or no, no, no. Christine Amapour. Christiane Amapour. That's a hard name to say. From CNN was interviewing Rep. Slotkin. Representative Slotkin. Whoever the hell. I don't know who all these people are. Um, both of them are dumb. That's all I know from watching this three-minute video of them. And what Representative Slotkin said was, I really reject the idea that somehow we should just give up on Ukraine. And she said much more, right? Russia needs to pay a price for this. We don't want to live in a world where, where countries can just invade their neighbors and all this other shit. And it's like, okay. Matt Walsh said, I gave up on Ukraine from the first moment. Ukraine is not my country. It's not my job to fund it, defend it, preserve it, or care about it. And none of these idiots have ever been able to explain why Americans should feel differently. Ukraine is not, should not be our problem. Now, here's where I, I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast or not. I've tried to share this with a few people to get feedback because sometimes I have hot takes and I'll try to share them with friends and not really family because none of my family talks to me about any of this stuff, but friends and will kind of, you know, get feedback on it. And nobody really touched this one. But when this was, when this was kind of starting, right? Like a lot of times in spring over the summer, I think I might've talked about it then. I never understood. One thing I've always struggled with within the church is this obsession with the war in Ukraine. I get that it's really sad that civilians die, that soldiers are dying, that it's happening in general. What I didn't understand was there was especially a time during the summer where there were literally like priests, I think even a bishop, a bishop either got killed or arrested in like Nicaragua. And then there were priests dying in Central and South America, priests getting killed in Nigeria and other African countries bishops being detained and tortured in China. And we never gave a shit about any of them. And maybe that's strong language, but we didn't, they weren't included in prayer intentions. They weren't included in anything. But as soon as Ukraine happened, it was like every week we were praying for peace in Ukraine. It's like, okay, that's great. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but why don't we ever pray for like, Peace in any of these other countries where people are literally getting limbs chopped off and have no freedom. Like, I don't understand. We don't pray for peace in North Korea, for freedom of the people of North Korea, Korea or China or Venezuela or people suffering from the cartels in Central and South America. I, I just didn't understand. And it was like not just once or twice when it broke out. It was like every week for months. And that was the first time where I was like, okay, I try not to buy into a lot of wokeness of like, oh, we only care about this because it's a white people's war. But I'll tell you what, when you have Catholic priests the same week as, you know, we're four months into a war in Ukraine and there's Catholic priests getting killed in Nigeria and we do not pray for them. But we pray for Zelensky, who's a shitbag. Like, talk me through this. You know what I mean? Like, help me to understand how how our own priests and bishops get no love or attention. And you even hear the same things in the Vatican. How much is the Vatican talking about the bishops getting detained and tortured and, and all the challenges that are facing the, the church in China? Never. And you tell me that's not political, that there's not wokeness inter, interwoven in that. Come on, dog. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about Ukraine, but I'm not getting, we just, they just had a bill proposed to give them 37 billion more dollars. And I don't know if you're following any of this shit that's going on with FTX and crypto and, um, the, basically, you know, the U S government gave billions of dollars to Ukraine. Ukraine puts a ton of money into FTX, FTX CEO and company donate millions of dollars 
I think he was like Biden's second biggest donor or something like that, the CEO, SBF. And, and people like don't care. It's like, give him $37 billion more dollars. Like, why are we funding this war? I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. I'm kind of with Matt Walsh on this. Like, it's not our responsibility to protect every country in the world. Either we do that or we don't, right? That, that's the two options. Either we're strategic and we protect our partners and our interests, or we just protect people who are having their rights violated. And then if that's the case, why are we not at war with China? Why are we not telling China that, yes, if you invade Taiwan or you try to take Taiwan back, we will go to war with you? Why do we not say anything about when Hong Kong gets taken over? Why do we not go to war with North Korea and liberate those people, right? Because we've done this shit. We've done this in other countries and it doesn't really work out. Why are we doing it for Ukraine? I don't understand. There's tons of African countries that where people don't have rights. There's Middle Eastern countries where women are treated as objects and, and do not have basic human rights. The Venezuelan people are suffering unnecessarily because of the government. Why don't we invade there and overthrow their government? Why don't we do everywhere? Why don't why are we why are we choosing Ukraine? I do not understand. Why are we giving them why would we give them anywhere near a hundred billion dollars to fight off Russia? What does that have to do with us? It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Maybe somebody can reach out to me and explain to me why we would do any of this shit, because I'd love to understand. All right, moving on. So they're going to discuss uh, the Synod on Synodality, which is cool. Um, <laughs> only God knows what's going to come out of that. That's a dumpster fire. Uh, number nine is going to be the cause of uh, canonization. So the bishops will vote on whether or not to advance causes for sainthood for three American women, which is pretty cool. And then the rest, there's just going to be a bunch of other stuff. So, um, yeah, lots of stuff happening this week. It's an exciting time to be alive. Uh, sorry if I got a little pessimistic on you there. I was pessimistic about most of today's episode. <laughs> so I'm really sorry um, if you were bummed. But that's kind of that. One thing that's super exciting, my friends, is this weekend, this Sunday, we've got the Solemnity. This is not just a Sunday. This is a solemnity. That's what, that's like the highest celebration in the church. A solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. And I'll tell you what, couldn't come at a better time. When we're losing our minds politically, socially, culturally, and everything, what better time to remember that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is King of the universe. He's King of it all. And so we're going to read the gospel from this week in just one second. All right, so this is a reading from Luke chapter 23, verses 35 through 43. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him there was an inscription that read, this is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly. For the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So 
So that's a great scripture to go into the weekend with, great to meditate with. Think about being the good thief. We're all worthy of, of condemnation. We're all worthy of the same condemnation. But Christ comes down and takes on the weight of our sin, the weight of the world, and offers us salvation, offers us the choice to be with him today uh, you know, and forever in paradise. And so let's make that decision today, my friends. Let's make a commitment. If you need to go to confession this weekend, get it done. Uh, make the commitment to start praying again. Make the commitment to start going to daily mass again. Uh, and let's strive to be those people that understand. We have, we have a relentless hope and confidence in the fact that Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. And none of this other stuff really matters. Nothing that comes out, whatever the bishops do, whatever the sin on synodality comes out with, whether Trump wins or loses, whatever happens, Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. And we're called, I believe, to be engaged in these issues, to be informed, to be aware of what's going on in the world. But we're not called to let to be so obsessed and so worried about all these things, as I talked about on Monday, that it starts to ruin your life. It starts to steal your joy, right? The fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things exist in, in or out of, of tough times, right? And so we don't have to get our way on election day. We don't have to have the bishops standing up and, and saying the things we think they should be saying, right, in order to be uh, to have those fruits. And so we should keep that in mind and we should strive to live that way each and every day, no matter what's happening, um, no matter how frustrating life gets, no matter how difficult things get, no matter how bleak things look. We always have that. We always have this joy. We always have our Lord in the Eucharist looking at us, telling us he loves us. And we're supposed to live out that identity, live from that, live from that. Don't drift off into negativity and despair. Um, Except about 2024. Don't have any hope for that because it's not going to be good. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. You guys are great. Hey, keep up the good work. Keep fighting the good fight. Uh, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. All right. Strive hard to be your best. And may God bless you and your family.